Well, I have some uh, some big news, Howard. Oh boy. I uh, I gotta show you something. I have my first actual, officially my own MacBook Pro that That's I just your first that I just got yesterday. Well, it's it's the first that is my own. They have them at the office space that I rent down in Philadelphia, and a lot of the studios that I'll rent space at, I use them there. Um, and my wife has an iMac and her own MacBook Pro. Uh, and finally, yesterday, boom. So nice. I just wanted well, to throw congratulations. it out Yeah, and it's, it's, it's time to begin the migration now. Um, I have to say, I have been heavily critical of Adobe Creative Cloud in general, um, but it's made switching software from the PC that I primarily use now to this bad boy, it took me about 15 minutes. So uh, kudos to Adobe for that. And I'm more than willing to eat some of my words about Creative Cloud, <laughs> at least for the sake of the convenience in the moment. Um, while I do have some reservations, that was shockingly easy. Uh, so big ups to him there. Uh, I was really, really happy about that. Yeah, so I 4K videos, uh, tutorials, and all kinds of stuff coming courtesy of this bad boy. Mm. My DisplayPort, or I'm sorry, Thunderbolt to DisplayPort cable comes tomorrow, and I will officially be running 4K uh, well, I could by the end of the day tomorrow, but probably more like by the weekend when I get everything migrated over. I have a list of all the software that I need to go download, um, and I'll probably be converting to ScreenFlow as well for my tutorials. Uh, oh, it's amazing. And, you yeah. have to. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway. It's it's what, funny. Um, just to interrupt you for a second, it's funny that you are in the process of buying pretty much your first <laughs> Mac computer or Apple computer that you're going to be using for business, and I'm in the process of buying my first PC that I'm going right. to be using. It's kind of like the tides have changed. Hey, you know what? Uh, it changes good, uh, depending on yeah, the change. Yeah, it looks like next about. week I'll be ordering our gaming PC because um, the company I'm working with is getting in their Intel Skylake chips, which I waited for. What, what are the specs and, uh, on the system that you're getting? Um, it's going to be the i7 Skylake, which I think could be overclocked to like 4.2 gigahertz or something Sheepers. like that, something crazy like that. That's an i7? I'll be getting the... Was that? Is that like an i7 equivalent? It is, yeah. Uh, it's the i7. Okay, nice. Um, I'll be getting the GeForce GTX 980 Ti graphics card, I believe it is. Um, that might as well be Egyptian, but okay. Yeah, I'm, I don't really know too much about the graphics card, but apparently it's a very good one. Right, a high-end um, dedicated graphics card, I would imagine, is an absolute must for any good uh any good gaming PC, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. And um, those are, that's the main specs. And then um, there's like a hybrid hard drive that they offer, which is like SSD plus regular hard drive. That's nice. kind of in one. I think it's like the one that Apple offers, but something cool. different. Do you have any SSD drives now? I do. In my Mac Pro, I have an SSD. And so, I, you, so fast. Once you have an SSD, you can never switch to a regular hard drive again. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they're incredible and incredibly expensive, uh, at least right now. <laughs> For now, yeah. But I think, was it uh, Seagate or Intel or one of the companies um, showed off their 16 terabyte wow. uh, SSD, which is crazy. But it'll yeah. it'll eventually bring all the prices down. Right. No, absolutely. Well, I guess we should just jump in. It's the 28th episode of the We Geeks podcast. I'm Nathaniel Dodson. He's Howard Pinsky. Uh, you can follow us both on Twitter. I'm at Tutvid. T-U-T-V-I-D, and he is at Iceflow Studios. 
And, and if you're watching this on YouTube live right now or later on, if we decide to push this thing public, right underneath us, we have our Twitter handles, I think, if I put them in properly. They should be. Um, they should be there. And you can also follow us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash wegeeks. And the cool thing about SoundCloud is you can not only listen to this podcast, but you can comment along. And then Nathaniel and I can go in later on and respond to those comments. I don't think I responded to the comments from last week. We did get a bunch. Roberto Blake is a beast at commenting. He's he, awesome. Roberto, um, he has been like any well not any but so many of the people that i follow on youtube <laughs> and uh, uh sort of find myself spending time around i scroll down into the comments and inevitably he's in like the top six comments of virtually everything and you could take it back to like you know a year ago um so he's he's on that commenting thing and you know i mean it works really well i mean it gets you noticed i mean interact with videos but you never know who's gonna see them and click on them i mean he's got like 50 or seventy-five thousand subscribers or something i forget what it is um but he's doing he's doing good things and i i've got my eye on him as far as you know watching him move forward with some of his tech and and uh interesting videos i am subscribed to him he's got some good content um but yeah no absolutely make sure you comment um and and you know we'll interact with comments and comments are awesome it's just it's like the life of the the uh the party that we know as social media so interact it's cool indeed and roberto is actually also one of our patrons uh, i guess he loves our podcast that much that he donates every single month. And we do have a bunch of patrons that they can uh, fund us at patreon.com slash we geeks. And every week we love shouting out our patrons, giving them uh, a shout out, head over, check them out wherever they are. And this week we have Michael, Caleb, Genevieve, Steve, Roberto, Jordan, and Craig. That's right, and if you like, you can follow us on SoundCloud. It's soundcloud.com slash wegeeks, uh, yes. and you can also comment along with the video. SoundCloud is really great about that. Not, I said that all, Nathaniel. Not so. Oh, you already said it? All right, well, <laughs> I said see, it. I'm, see, I'm reading all my notes. Um, but <laughs> moving on, any of the stories that we talk about in the podcast, you can find them over at tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 28. That's episode 28. Indeed. Um, I suppose we're kind of obliged to acknowledge the horrific news from yesterday with mm. Allison Parker and Adam Ward, two journalists who were shot and killed live on the air uh, in front of the people watching at 6.45 a.m. yesterday. It would be August 26th, uh, down outside of Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, just an absolutely horrific story. Horrible. Uh I mean, the, the, Allison was, I think, 24, and Adam was 27. Um, so these are people that are, like, our age. Um, and to just see something like that happen is horrible. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it, I, I guess it, it brings into clear uh, focus, again, the whole gun control issue uh, once more and kind of where we are as a society and what is causing this or what allows this to continue happening. Uh, but I mean, all of that stuff aside, just, I mean, what a terrible story. What a terrible, uh, what a terrible thing to happen. And then for the guy to go, of course, you know, he kills himself, um, you know, and it's just like, it just sucks. Yeah, it's, it, I woke, I remember waking up and I saw one of the tweets being retweeted and it was from the network, and they basically said, we're not exactly sure what just happened. Right. Um, we'll fill you in with more details. And then it started to come out that 
the reporter and the cameraman were killed in that attack. And like you said, it brings up the whole gun issue and mental health issue, which I posted on Facebook that day. I said, you know, in light of this tragedy, this isn't the time to bring it up. Of course, it brings up these issues, but we need to really focus on the fact that two people lost their lives. Um, and it's not not a time to really get into the politics of things. And it was yeah, it was just a I, you've, terrible you see, yeah, tragedy. You see people calling out the racial, you know, it's a black guy killing two white people and this and that. And, and it's just kind of like, man. I mean, I understand politics are involved in everything, but something like this is so fresh and it's so graphic. You know, like imagine having a camera on the end of those kids' weapons when they went through Columbine High School or something. You know what I mean? We sort of don't understand just how graphic a lot of this stuff is because all the photos and everything you can see you're still not seeing it happen do you know what i mean um yeah so i don't know it just i, I just felt like there was almost like an obligation to just mention that before we got going um, yeah but- and what's what's even scarier is the gunman i don't remember his name um but the gunman actually recorded himself with his own like phone right with his own phone and he uploaded this stuff to facebook and twitter and it's just like when you see something like that, you just don't have words. It's just it's terrible, right? And he yeah, he was like live tweeting as he was you know fleeing or whatever was going on. Um, I mean, I guess it just goes to show you how integral social media and all of that has become in our lives. Because I mean, you don't get much more real than life death situations, and to have somebody who's doing that and they're you know actively thinking about filming it and then posting about it and all of that. It's just insane it's crazy yeah but anyway on to some lighter lighter happier topics youtube gaming came out yesterday right gaming yes dot, it did is it, what is it gaming.youtube.com i believe is the url it is gaming.youtube.com so i just i was just muting my apple watch it was making yeah, yeah. noises no worries um what, what are your, yeah, what are your impressions of it i mean not to interrupt you i i went on it briefly yeah. with my nephew and we were like watching somebody playing this racing game uh we saw some of the new call of duty stuff uh but that was kind of it i i know that it's one of these very full screen um netflix-esque I mean, not, it's not like it's, it's not as clean as a Netflix, uh, you know, like Netflix uh, user interface. Um, but it's definitely that that full screen, immersive, you know, meant to be checked out on a PC and probably just as easily watchable on a television kind of interface. Um, but I haven't used it. Have you done any streaming with it? Have you streamed any gameplay as of yet? I have actually. Yesterday, I went live for the very first time a few hours after it was actually no half an hour after it was released, just to test it out because I also was writing a blog post for the company I was work I, I am working for, um, and it's a very strong first release for a 1.0 product. And if you're not familiar with YouTube gaming, like Nathaniel said, it's gaming.youtube.com. And I'm sure you're familiar with Twitch. You've heard of Twitch, Nathaniel. Yeah. I know you're not a gamer, but you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is YouTube's direct answer to YouTube game, or sorry, to Twitch. It allows gamers to stream their games. You can interact with the audience of the community. You can watch highlights and things like that. So I went live for a little bit yesterday just to test things out, and it worked very well. I was hoping that YouTube would have their own streaming software because I believe at one point they partnered with Wirecast to offer a free version that's specifically for YouTube. They didn't do this th- this time around, so you have to use a, a, an application like Wirecast or OBS or 
there are some others, but YouTube provides the stream key and all that stuff. And what's interesting is previously on YouTube, if you wanted to go live and broadcast like Nathaniel and I are doing right now, it took about 12 steps, which is crazy. But now it takes about three. The process is so much easier than it used to be. Um, and like I said, for a 1.0 product, YouTube gaming, I think, is definitely going in the right direction. It's not there yet. There's a few things that I think Twitch has that YouTube doesn't. For example, Twitch has subscriptions. And we know on YouTube, we know subscriptions as, you know, you can kind of follow somebody to get notified when they release new content. Yeah. But on Twitch, subscription is actually, it's kind of like you subscribing to a magazine. So every month you would pay $5 to see these people. I mean, the content remains free, but there are a few benefits here and there. But for the most part, it's just you showing your support. Your support. That's the word I was looking for. Right. To the streamers that you like. Now, YouTube doesn't have something like that at the moment, but they do have fan funding built mm-hmm. in. I and just I think saw I got that. a. Yeah, I think I got a $1 donation yesterday, which was kind of cool. Um, it's, it, just to interrupt you for a second, it, it, yep. it reminds me very much of like the Snapchat, Snapcash kind of thing, um, where it's right. like very in line with the commenting that you sort of send money like a comment. Uh, I thought I thought that was a pretty cool little touch, actually. It is, and, and Twitch doesn't have something like that right now. So again, YouTube has some things that Twitch doesn't have, and Twitch has some things that YouTube doesn't have. I would assume that YouTube's going to continue to improve, especially since they just released it and people are sending feedback all the time and it's probably going to push Twitch to improve even more. And I think we're going to see some amazing things from Twitch. So it's not really, you know, Twitch is better than YouTube. YouTube's better than Twitch. I think both can live in the same world and there will be a lot of people who stay on Twitch and a lot of people who start on YouTube and continue to grow on YouTube. But my experience with YouTube gaming so far, actually I went live for about an hour before the podcast just to you know, hang out and have some talk. And I found that people on YouTube gaming are very, very kind and nice. We had some great conversations For about now. everything, Photoshop and gaming and everything. It was nice. Right. Well, from, from the non-gamer, non-Twitch using standpoint, and I have watched... Uh, gaming on Twitch, uh, ju- mm-hmm. you know, for a few minutes here and there. I've never really invested myself, and in I've never even made a comment on Twitch. Um, but initially, I was struck by it. Felt like you said, like a very well put together product. YouTube gaming. Um, it felt comprehensive. It felt deep. Um, I thought it was a more beautiful interface than Twitch, and not that it's even that amazing looking. Um, but I felt like it was more beautiful. I felt like the comments looked better. They looked you know, less like command line code esque um, than than they do on Twitch. Um, I don't know. It, it seemed everything seemed a little bit smoother on Twitch. But like you know, one thing that was bugging me, for instance, like one dumb little thing. There's a thumb up and thumb down button. You know, obviously as you're watching any any live feed, mm-hmm. and it doesn't tell you how many likes. If you you hover over and a tooltip shows up and it says like one k. But, you know, it would be cool. It's always cool to see those metrics, you know, just like you see, oh, wow, when I joined this feed or or this this live stream, there was 1,200 people watching and now there's 6,500 people watching. It's cool to see, oh, wow, we went from 350 likes to 1,700. There's a huge difference between 1,000 likes and 1,700 likes. And, you know, kind of, you know, just trying to keep track of everything. It's a little thing, yes. Um, 
But I don't know. It just seems like all of that little stuff adds up and, and, and makes it a, a more immersive and better kind of more fun experience, if you will. Yeah, I agree. And there are a lot of things, like you said, little things that YouTube can improve. One thing, for example, is um, because I'm a YouTuber and I have a lot of subscribers on YouTube, when I go live on YouTube gaming, it shows up in two places. It shows up in the YouTube subscription box on YouTube.com. It also shows up if you search the game I'm playing on gaming.youtube.com. But here's the problem. If one of my regular subscribers finds my live stream on youtube.com in the subscriber box and they click on it, it does not take them to the gaming.youtube.com stream, which has a few extra features. It takes them to the regular stream, which is what people are watching this podcast on now. Within, um, so the, within the traditional YouTube interface. Right, okay, right. Gotcha. So I actually sent a tweet to YouTube Gaming and I said, if, you know, it obviously knows that I'm gaming because you have to select a, uh, you have to select the gaming category, enter a game. So it knows. Um, so if someone does click on it from YouTube.com, if it is a game that's being played, it should take you right. to the gaming site. But you know, again, little things here and there could make the experience better. Do you know if you can do just straight up live streams? into YouTube gaming can you use it as a platform for live streaming let's say a, a podcast or some kind of variety show or something or does YouTube they heavily frown upon that it, everything has to fall within certain categories I saw they had like a list of games uh, you know that you could go in if you wanted to specifically watch people playing I don't know Need for Speed or Call of Duty or, or whatever um, you could go directly to that stuff how are they handling people who just want to get on and you know it's like you know let's watch my grandma make meatballs you know or something like that right well technically if you select the gaming category when you're setting up a stream it will go to youtube gaming um and you do have to enter the game that you're playing so that people can search for it mm -hmm. um but i believe it's very similar to twitch where it's kind of frowned upon if you're not gaming and you're streaming on a gaming platform. Um, I don't know exactly what YouTube will be doing to enforce it, but I know that Twitch will, like the moderators of Twitch, they'll shut down streams if you're not gaming or you're breaking the rules. Um, but I guess we'll see. There's a lot of things that people are kind of confused about, especially co uh, copyright issues. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these, this information will start to come out as time goes on. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, like you said, strong first showing by YouTube. I'm not a gamer though, so you know what authority do I speak from? Do you know what I mean? I have zero experience with streaming games. Um, any of the games that I've played, I'm sure that I kind of suck so badly at them. I wouldn't even go into <laughs> multiplayer mode unless. Well, that's it's very like... entertaining. <laughs> well, yeah, for everyone else, but for me, it's like, well, you know, I've been feeling good about myself lately. Let, let me let's go and get uh, just destroyed. Uh, Actually, one of my first can. videos on my gaming channel was, I think I, I titled it I Suck at Minecraft or Minecraft Noob or something. And it was basically me playing Minecraft for the first time. I was, I had no idea what it was doing, but it was one of my most popular videos because it was just entertaining to watch me suck at Minecraft. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. So anyway, moving on. Uh, a couple quick stories that I just kind of feel like, you know, we'll touch on because it's a geeky podcast and stuff like that. Uh, I saw this on Wired.com. There's a company called Everblock that's producing these giant Lego bricks that you can use to build actual stuff in real life. Because why not? <laughs> I don't think you could, let's say, build an entire house out of them. 
Um, I mean, I'm sure you could, but the, the stability and sturdiness factor is probably not necessarily there. They do look pretty, you know, I mean, like you build a coffee table out of it. Um, the blocks come in 14 different colors. They got three different sizes. You got a foot long, a six inch, and a three inch size. And that's Sounds not like Subway. Sub- I was just going to say, it's not Subway. <laughs> um, and, you know, a bunch of different weights and things like that. Um, really, really cool. They got some pictures on their site of everything from, like I said, somebody made a coffee table to like a small sort of like almost imagine a playhouse in your playroom for your kid to what looked like, like the wall of a bathroom, like a public bathroom with stalls and things. Um, it was kind of interesting. Uh, you can check it out everblocksystems.com. A as far as price, you can buy individual blocks, but they have like, for instance, a set of 18, 12 inch, the full size blocks. And that set of 18 costs $125. So, you know, they're not necessarily cheap. That's not bad. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's more expensive than, like, cinder block. But, you know, they're, like, real-life full-size Legos, which is just kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, mostly, like, kindergarten, grade one, we had these, I don't know what they were called, but we had basically these big blocks. I think they were just called big blocks. And I would play with that stuff all the time. Mm. And this is basically an adult version of of those big blocks, right. I can see myself buying this. Why? I don't know. There's absolutely no need for me to buy these things, Honestly, but that's some, the point, right? Well, somebody like you or I, we something that I see this being useful for is like a video set. Do you know what I oh, mean? That's true, yeah. You could do an entire video set. You could build your own shelves out of it, you know, all kinds of custom color coordination. Now, to build an entire shelf system, remember, 125 bucks per 18 blocks. It's going to get pricey, but, you know, I mean... Shelving's expensive anyway. Go to Ikea. <laughs> That's true. I might have to... Be, I mean, I'm looking at these now. I'm not a big fan of some of the colors. Like, there's this light blue, and there's I, this brownish color, and I this just, goldish color. I would go with... You can't go wrong with white, right? That's I mean, true. You white and red. Go, you can't... Well, yeah, red Red would be cool. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So, no, I thought that was just kind of a neat little... Uh, a neat thing. And moving on from that, also, Logo Design Love, which is a great website if you're looking for... Um, logo inspiration in particular. I found that Logo Pond and sites like, I think it's called Fave Logo or Logo Fave Up, something like that. I can't remember. I actually don't think that site's around anymore, but it's been like swallowed up by another logo uh, design something or other. Anyway, Logo Design Love is one of these really cool sites, and they just put out this uh, GIF, GIF, whatever, um, that shows this animated walkthrough from the late 1800s to modern day, the major American Major League Baseball, well, I guess American and Canadian, Major League Baseball team logos over the years. It's really pretty cool. It kind of makes me wish that we had a pause button for GIF files because I would love to be able to stop for a <laughs> second to check out, you know, like the Yankees logo changing from, you know, the late 1910s and the 1920s and, you know, the, the Philadelphia Athletics and the Philadelphia Fightin' Phillies, you know, which then turned into the modern-day Phillies and the Philadelphia Athletics are now in Oakland as the Oakland Athletics. But the o- Oakland Athletics have this bizarre elephant in their logo. Well, that elephant, it turns out, originally came from the Philadelphia logo. Why was there an elephant in the Philadelphia <laughs> Athletics logo? I have no idea. We don't have elephants in the area. There are a couple elephants that are at the zoo. Actually, I don't even think they have elephants at the zoo anymore. Um, but I don't know. It's just kind of cool. And you can just see the the change of style in icon design, the way they were using type from you know the the late 1800s all the way up through modern day and kind of how you had these very like almost like gothic style logos up until the 50s and then you were transitioning into that like that 
horrific design style, like that, I don't even know how to describe it, VHS style uh, of the, the late 70s, 80s, 90s, and then into the 2000s, you have everything that's very, like, tight and icon-based, you know what I mean? Like, you think of the Toronto Blue Jays logo, right? And, like, on the hat, you know what I mean? It's just a very tight icon. It's not just, like, spread out. You know, like, the San Francisco Giants logo through the 80s was just ugly. The White Sox have had a number, Chicago White Sox have had a number of really, really bad logos. Um, there are a lot of teams that have a lot of bad logos. But it's really cool to see kind of just the classicness of it, of a lot of these logos. Uh, so something definitely cool to check out. I'll have the link over at the website, www.tutfid.com slash we geeks slash episode 28 and you'll be able to check it out uh when this podcast goes up for real for yeah real. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned the toronto blue jays because as you know i'm from toronto and i've been following the blue jays a lot this season because they're actually doing well for once which is first very place. shocking for a toronto based yeah first place which is shock, shocking for a team based in toronto but they've gone through so many logos over the last few years and it seems that I think this year they went back to one of their original logos. It was either this year or last year. And it's kind of cool to go back to that like retro style. Because it was last two years ago maybe. They went with this very modern, yes. very like, I don't know what it was. They tried to like beef up the Blue Jay and it just didn't work. They tried to make themselves a modern team. And it's just like, nah, you got to get back to your roots. And they right. did that. And of course their success isn't because of the logo, but... I love seeing these original logos come to come to pass and looking at some I mean some of them I'm looking at them now are pretty ugly oh yeah um but some of them are pretty cool. And, and the, I mean, that design style through the late 70s, 80s, 90s, it was just so fatty. It was like, you know, like Web 2.0 in the early to mid 2000s, right? Where it's just like, if classic is beautiful and modern yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You know, the fad is beautiful today. And then, you know, tomorrow you regret that you designed that or, or that, that you made that your logo. Um, so I don't know. I, it's a lot of lesson to be learned for just general logo design and pretty cool if you're a sports fan of any kind uh, as well yeah definitely and one thing that i possibly one company is regretting is the square decision i'm sure you've heard about this um instagram today they kind of well they didn't really backtrack on their decision to constrain everything to a square but they finally are allowing photographers or i guess anyone who uploads to instagram to post portrait and landscape photos which is so exciting because i take a lot of landscape photos of the sunset here in colorado absolutely love it and so many times i have to go back and crop out some of the mountains because instagram doesn't support landscape photos but now this morning they released an update actually it was a very strange update it was update <laughs> 7.5 and it was released i remember downloading it this morning and the release notes were actually the same release notes as last week's release, or like a few releases ago. Right. So I didn't really think much of it. I thought maybe <clears throat> there was a bunch of bug fixes. And then a blog post came out saying that it's they're allowing portrait and landscape photos, which is awesome. But I went to check and wasn't there. No feature was there. <laughs> right. And a lot of people were reporting that they downloaded the update, the 7.5 update, and that feature just didn't exist. But I guess. Instagram somehow rolled out the update, but within the update, they were still rolling it out, which is very strange because I figured if you download an update, you should get the features within the update, right? Yeah, I would think. Um, yeah, I, but I, I would think that that is the rollout process. 
Exactly, you would think so. So a few hours later, um, I finally got the update within the update. Very strange. I didn't have to re-download or anything. It just showed up. But yeah, I, I posted my first landscape photo, and it's so such a huge difference because you can finally see everything because very few people take square photos. Um, actually, I, I find myself sometimes on my iPhone, if I know I'm going to post it to Instagram, I'll switch into the square mode just so I can frame everything. But for the most part, you take landscape photos. Right. Um, but now you can post them. Right. Well, I honestly, I was more excited about this uh, with regard to video and being able to see true, you know, I'm holding my phone sideward, boom, that's right, pink iPhone case. Um, but, you know, seeing like true I don't know. Instagram called it more cinematic video, as cinematic as you're going to get with an iPhone or an Android uh, filming in landscape mode. So that was really cool. As far as the photos, I mean, you still have apps like Dark Darkroom that you can save out a photo with the white bars on the sides or top and bottom. Uh, you have right. you know apps like Wittagram uh, where you can do that as well. Um, what I actually am most curious about is in a few days as people's uh, feeds start to populate these landscape and portrait orientation photos, how is that going to look on the grid view? Is Instagram going to autom automatically square those up for the grid view? Because I know that in the Instagram feed when you're scrolling and you come across, let's say, a landscape photo, it just looks like a landscape photo. They haven't just put white bars at the top and bottom. It actually looks like a landscape cropped photo. So pretty cool, pretty cool to see Instagram doing that. I, like a small part of me feels like like the trademark thing of Instagram is kind of going away because Instagram, they are why we have the square photo, right? I mean, isn't that what, what has made the proliferation of these you know square photos? It's because of Instagram, right? Um, so I don't know. It'll be kind of uh, interesting to see how that change uh, affects anything, or if it does affect anything at all. I don't know. Well, I imagine for actually, most yeah. Just to kind of go on that, I'm on the grid view right now, and you can hopefully you can see. I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, you won't be able to see. But those two photos in the middle, the top right. one is a landscape photo. Mm -hmm. The one below it is a portrait photo. So it does, and you basically just see white bars, right? But, but Which if you, it looks very strange. But if you actually bring that photo up and view the photo, the white bars aren't there. Like if you go to the portrait one, right? It fills the screen, right? Um, it does, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's what I thought. Uh, but yeah, so kind of a cool little update. Speaking of updates, so I, I have a buddy who works out at Facebook. Uh, well, I mean, I call him a buddy. I really like to use the term loosely. He's more of like an acquaintance that I've bumped into every now and again, and I work with some friends of his on some projects here in Philadelphia. Um, he works with Facebook, and I saw him mention this on Facebook. It was either late yesterday or early today. Uh, Facebook has launched a service called M. To, like, mm -hmm. think of the James Bond gadget guy. His name was Q. Well, this is M. It's just the letter M. Um, and it looks like it is kind of Facebook's direct competitor to Apple's Siri, Google's Now, Microsoft's Cortana, you name it. However, uh, M, I, I, I sort of wrote this in, in the notes, and I'll, I'll sort of articulate it in the blog post for this a little bit better maybe. Apple has the iPhone and Mac OS X, or OS, the, the Mac OS, right? Microsoft has Windows, and Google has Chrome OS and the Android devices through which they can deploy their you know, virtual assistant services or whatever they want to call them. Um, Facebook 
you have to already have one of those services to get access to Facebook. Do you know what I mean? Remember very briefly they had like the Facebook phone and then that just didn't really go anywhere. Um, so you have to download the Facebook app, the Messenger app to get this Facebook M service. Um, and M is not this technology-based virtual assistant. M, and this is a quote from, from Wired.com, they say M is a hybrid. It's a virtual assistant powered by artificial intelligence as well as a band of Facebook employees who have been dubbed M trainers who will make what? sure that every request is answered. So, and, and Facebook has said that, look, if we're going to compete with Apple, Microsoft, Google who have this built-in platform through which they can deliver, you know, Siri, Cortana, uh, Google Now, we need our virtual assistant to be like the king, A number one, so friggin' good that it is going to blow you away when you use it. And you're going to open up Facebook Messenger just to use uh, Facebook's M service. It looks pretty cool. Um, there's not much information about it. Right now, it, it, it looks like it's just kind of a beta that's going out to literally a few hundred people in the San Francisco area um, as Facebook works out the kinks and finishes figuring out what's going on, probably tests to see how many of these, these M trainers they need uh, there to be in San Francisco. Um, or, or however that's going to work. I'm assuming they're people who are just kind of programming that artificial intelligence. Um, but I don't know. I, 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 I kind of – my hope with it is it's going to show me things that I wanted Siri and Cortana and Google Now to do that I didn't even know I wanted them to do. Do you know what I mean? Like remember when Siri first came out, you're like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I mean it's really cool, but do I really need it? And as you started using it, you're like, this is – this is pretty good. You know what I mean? Like this saves me time. It does all kinds of stuff that I never would have imagined. Um, and it's really, really helpful. Even if it's just as simple as going over and boom, you know, set me a reminder to take the cake out of the oven in 15 minutes. Or when I get home, remind me to call my mother and wish her a happy birthday. Or next year, don't let me forget my anniversary. Do you know what I mean? All of these little things that, you know, it's just that quick, boom, and you can have Siri take care of it in your phone. So what's Facebook M going to do? Um, that's going to top that. I don't know, but it's it's really exciting and I I'm I have to tell you I'm most happy that Facebook has just come out and said, "Look, we know we're at a disadvantage because there's already services like this that are out there and they have that platform, so we need to make this a kick butt service." That gets me excited. Yeah, I have the same question as you. What will Facebook M offer that Siri, Cortana and Google Now doesn't because Google Now, I mean, I think Google Now is a little bit better than Siri. Siri is catching up a little bit, but Google Now does so much. But the yeah. advantage that Siri, Cortana, and Google Now has, like you mentioned, is they have the platform. So, right, I just you know, press, if I press, have, press the home button and boom, Siri's there. I don't need to swipe open, uh, find well, my messenger app, whatever. Well, it's not just that. Is if, if I'm holding an Android device or an iPhone and I'm in Safari or Google Chrome or I'm in Facebook or I'm in any application, it's running on that platform. So Google now is able to analyze what's, what I'm browsing in Chrome or what I'm browsing on Facebook or any of those applications. And it's able to remind me of things or it's able to set calendar events or it's able to give me other suggestions based on what I'm already looking at. The problem with Facebook is that it doesn't have access to anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, if you're using Facebook on the web, it can kind of use your cookies, which is but very creepy. Facebook has access to everything. 
It does, but it it doesn't know, at the same time, especially yeah, right. on mobile I know, devices. I know what you're saying. Well, and I mean, just think you have the 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 voice cues you can set up for Siri, so you can just say, "Hey Siri, Bing, do this." You know what I mean? So you don't have to press anything, or you know, "Okay Google, find me the best sushi joint within 25 miles of where I am right now." Um, so I'm assuming it's going to have to have some kind of voice cue that you know fires it up right away. Um, but I don't know. It'll be really really interesting to see. Um, but as, as my parents pointed out, or as my dad jokingly mentioned this past week when I was at the house, um, he, he just sort of mentioned off the cuff, or offhand, I should say, that Facebook's the place where old people congregate now. So It, it seems that way. Facebook and right to, now, Facebook you know, I don't, I don't know the what, image. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the M stands for, but without more information, it for, to me, it's just like Facebook meh. Because I honestly don't see what it can do that the other services cannot, but... I mean, there's a reason Facebook is launching this service. Right. So they have to have something up their sleeves. I'm very interested about it. Yeah, show me. So next story, Canon, the can uh, the camera manufacturer, as we all know them and love them, they've unveiled a new 35mm f one four. Did you say we love Canon? <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, 35mm f one four l which is their luxury glass, version 2 lens, uh, which they are flaunting as the first quote, blue spectrum refractive optic lens. Sounds um, fancy. Otherwise known as just BR optics. Um, this lens, uh, it's it's fairly expensive. It's $1,800. You can, you can pre-order it on B&H Photo now. Um, so I'll get that out of the way to begin with. Um, it, it's kind of difficult explaining this lens to somebody. Um, and I don't have like my 85 millimeter prime lens out of the case, and I'm not going to lean over and dig it out. But a lot of times with these prime lenses that are, you know, like sub f 2.0, they're very, very shallow depth of field lenses. They allow you to go super shallow. I mean, think about those wedding photographers you love, you know, to have these like creamy photos where it's just this tack sharp person and it just falls away into just like this beautiful nothingness. Um, this lens will allow you to do that. 35 millimeters is pretty wide. It's a very traditional focal length uh, for a full frame camera. On a crop sensor, this lens would be something like, I think, a 56 millimeter lens, if I recall correctly. It's something like that, is what 35 millimeter translates to on a 1.6 uh, zoomed sensor, which is what most crop sensors are. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's an expensive lens. But the, the, the calling card is this BR optics. So like I was saying, with these very shallow depth of field sub f2.0 lenses, you have a lot of what's called chromatic aberration when you're shooting at the very shallow depths of field. Because of the way light hits the outside parts of the circular lens and then you know kind of comes into this point, um, the, you get these fringe these fringes of light of colored light, I should say, that, that peel off and manifest themselves around sharp edges of your photo as little bands of like purple or green. Um, you'll notice it with a lot of cameras actually, very many cameras that you use these days. Um, it's called chromatic aberration, camera raw, Lightroom, Capture One, uh, Photoshop. A lot of these programs have chromatic aberration correction options built in that you can go and tackle stuff like this. Um, but it, it really isn't a problem with most cameras because you take like a snapshot of friends, you're not zooming in and examining critical detail. But I think this 35mm lens is almost specifically made for some of these ultra high-end uh, or, or ultra high megapixel Canons like the 5DS and the 5DSR, which Howard we've talked about on the podcast before, which, you know, 50 megapixels, 50 plus megapixel cameras where you're zooming in 
to this this image i mean you zoom into 100 percent when you take a photo of somebody's face and you can see every individual vein and layer of color in somebody's eye you know when you have this big chromatic aberration um it can kind of destroy an image because the cleaner you can get it through the glass the less digital manipulation you need to do and the more real image that you see as if it was right there in front of you um so if I was doing wedding photography, if I was doing, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I, I do some wedding photography. I do some portrait photography. Um, if I was doing a lot of that with these high-end, high-megapixel cameras, let's say anything above like a, I don't know, I'll just choose an arbitrary number, like a 28-megapixel camera, anything higher than that, I would jump on this lens in a hurry. Um, it seems to be a pretty direct competitor to the very popular Sigma Art 35mm lens, which is renowned for its sharpness and its optics and everything like that. Um, and this looks like a really, really good lens. On paper, it it tests as a great lens. Um, and you just see the, the, I mean, there's a lot of complicated graphs and things. But the way that it works with the light, the way that it cuts down the chromatic aberration, the example photos, it's pretty impressive. It's a really, really good looking lens. The question is just, you know, is it worth $1,800 for you? Um, and for most of us, I think the answer is no. Uh, but as far as like a, a cinema lens, using it on your DSLR for video or for like very shallow depth of field portraiture um, of, you know, families, kids, whatever, weddings, it looks like it's going to be an amazing lens for that. So interesting um not not really a huge splash dash and, and sizzle from canon but definitely an interesting lens and you definitely kind of need to you know know why this lens is as good as it is and it's pretty technical um but yeah really really cool I, it's cool to see canon doing something like this now it'll be nice to see them make some changes with some of the camera bodies that they have but that's another issue entirely yeah, really. I'm not much of a photographer, so all of this lens mumbo-jumbo probably makes a lot more sense to you. To me, it's just like they add these extra features and they charge $1,800. I don't know what any of it means. I'm happy with my regular lenses that I use. Um, but I, I don't know. I, all, I almost think that Canon is focusing their efforts in the wrong places. They're releasing these lenses that... I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they won't appeal to the small percentage of people that I think. But it seems like there's a lot more places they should be focusing their efforts on, like mirrorless cameras and 4K video. And actually, speaking of mirrorless, I think I heard today that Canon's finally going to bring their EOS M3 to the United States. I think originally it was in Europe somewhere, maybe, or Asia somewhere. Um but they're finally bringing that over. But at the same time, that camera's like 17 years behind some of the right. mirrorless cameras that Sony's releasing. So I really think that they're focusing their areas on wrong places. But I could be wrong about that. Got it. Got to focus that effort uh, properly. But moving along, uh, a couple. It feels like a couple months ago. I, 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 my the better part of me is telling me it was only a few weeks ago. But it feels like it was longer than that ago. We talked about. And this app called AstroPad, uh, which was an app for the iPad, which basically allowed you to mirror the Photoshop that you have on your computer screen or your laptop screen onto your iPad tablet and, you know, work with like, you know, a stylus on the iPad to, you know, make edits directly within Photoshop on this image, essentially using your iPad, which you already own as like a very high-end graphics tablet. We had talked about it because we were kind of pumped about the potential for an iPad Pro and pressure sensitivity. Um, and I know there are pressure sensitive uh, styluses and things like that you can buy. Um, but 
Anyway, this company Astropad, well, well, that app is like 20 bucks in the App Store, so it's a pricey app. Um, and I, I didn't buy it, I didn't test it, I didn't download it. I have a graphics tablet and I'm comfortable with that. I've never been a big edit the graphics on the screen kind of sort of Cintiq type user, um, but it's a really, really cool concept from Astropad. They just launched another app called Astropad Mini, which is $5, much cheaper, and it allows you to just take your iPhone and use that as your uh, basically your little graphics tablet and it's compatible with a, a bajillion different uh, pressure sensitive styluses which is great uh, what do I have here in my notes pressure sensitive styluses such as uh, Wacom's pressure sensitive stylus pencil pogo and more um, you can pinch and zoom, obviously, because the Photoshop interface is going to be tiny on your little iPhone screen. Uh, really, really neat. And it even has the new Astro Pad Mini app has i or excuse me Apple Watch compatibility with customizable, programmable shortcuts. So like you can have an undo button right there on your wrist. Uh, you know, uh, like a, a brush larger, brush smaller kind of button, all kinds of different stuff like that, which is actually kind of a cool idea. I kind of dig that. Um, it almost reminds me a little bit of the palette stuff that we had talked about with the very physical, you know, UI sliders, knobs and things, however, we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, but kind of cool. And for five bucks, um, something that I may have to check out at some point. Um, like I said, it, it's probably, I, I don't see it being something at all that I would use on any kind of regular basis. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It might be kind of fun. And who knows? If I buy the $5 one, I might end up needing the $20 one, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, really. That's probably their plan. I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on that $5 um, Astro Mini, Astro Pad Mini app is. Because um, I, I'm trying to visualize myself editing a photo on <laughs> an iPhone, whether it's right. like a 6-inch iPhone or I guess 5.5-inch or a 4-point whatever the other one is. Um, and I've used apps before on my iPhone that allows you to draw and do basic edits. Very And difficult. it's just not something... It's very difficult it's and it's not something... Good for Snapchat, but other than that, well, it's not sure, it's good for Snapchat. But would you spend five dollars to edit Snapchat photos? I don't know if I would. Oh, um, no, no, I'm just talking about drawing on the screen. You know, being like rough oh yes, yeah, MS Paint style sketches on Snapchat. Yeah, I don't see like actual workflows gonna that's that are going to be done on an iPhone or or a small Android device. And then you mentioned the the Apple Watch app. I have an Apple Watch. It's on my wrist right now, and I can tell you right now, even if it's just for basic things like undoing and that sort of thing, it's not going to work very well because when you drop your wrist or turn your wrist away, that app closes. So you have to turn your wrist away again, open the app, and then press a button, right. which is going to be unbelievably frustrating. So I don't know. I think the $20 app would be the way to go if you were going to look for an app like this. But, which leads us to our next story, uh, Photoshop, or I guess Adobe, a few months ago, gave us a little bit of a sneak peek on one of the projects they've been working on, which is codename Project Rigel. And we, we kind of debated on the name <laughs> a few months ago, whether it was Riggle or what, what. I actually spoke to Adobe recently. I can't tell you why I spoke to Adobe, but they mentioned Rigel, and it's Rigel, which is, I, that won't be the name of the actual app when it comes out, but that's the code name right now. Right. Um, and they, they gave us a sneak peek on this app, which is supposed to kind of close the gap between Photoshop on your desktop and Photoshop on a mobile device, which traditionally 
hasn't been very good. There was a very wide gap. You had Photoshop Touch, and then you had Photoshop Mix, I think it was, and each iteration got us a little bit closer, but it wasn't, like, it wasn't there. We were able to adjust curves and highlights and uh, do a little bit of composition, but it just, eh, it was missing that magic that Photoshop on the desktop has. But now we're seeing that this Project Rigel is like a full-fledged Photoshop app on your iPad or right. other mobile tablet. It's not Photoshop. It's not there yet, but it's very close. It allow you. It looks like it allow you to do things like content-aware fill and content-aware move, and these this technology that requires a lot of processing power. Yeah, and you'll be able to do that directly well, on. I mean, remember yep. the the video that we had seen several weeks ago was them editing like a what a fifty megapixel image out of that Canon five DS. Wasn't that what they were they were editing? I believe a photo on some kind of uh, like iPad Air or something, uh, which was uh, quite large and pretty impressive. Um, so you know, I I don't know. It's any anything's better than Photoshop Touch. I mean, Photoshop Touch was horrific it was terrible it was so limiting and, and you know adobe was pushing it like it's like, oh it's amazing you can take photoshop on the go and it's like no this is like a glorified snapseed you know what i mean but but snapseed somehow is still better like the visco editor is better i would rather take my images and push them through the visco editor than take them through photoshop touch like it's it was it was ridiculous um and yeah, they hung it on seems hung like on. adobe's figuring things out it's taken them a while but they're figuring out exactly what people want and of course you know the the technology is getting better. Our iPads are getting better. We, we may even see an iPad Pro in just a few weeks or a few months, and that will potentially allow Adobe to put full-fledged uh, Photoshop on an iPad. But, you know, we're right. getting there. Yeah. So it'll be cool. I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, and it'll definitely be interesting to see in coordination, uh, or or you know, going hand in hand with the next iPad potential iPad release or whatever's happening, uh, which should I guess be September 9th, right? Isn't that going to be the the date of the next iPhone uh, launch? And I wonder yeah. if they're also going to announce this new iPad, which the writing has been on the wall for the iPad Pro for a while. We've talked about it on the podcast several times now that that developers are coming across, you know, the code written in for this like ultra large iPad or ultra high resolution iPad, I should say, um, which would seem to be this secret iPad Pro slash Microsoft Surface Pro 3 uh, competitor kind of uh, computer. Yeah, uh, actually this morning or this afternoon sometime, Apple sent out their invites to the event we all knew was going to happen on September 9th. Mm -hmm. And the headline for this event, it all, all the invites said was, Hey Siri, give us a hint, which doesn't really mean much, but I'm sure it'll make sense when the event actually comes. And we do know that new iPhones, I mean, Apple hasn't confirmed it, but it's its so apparent that new iPhones will be coming. And it'll be likely the iPhone 6S and the 6S Plus. There was a rumor that the Apple would be releasing like a 6C, like a colored version, mm -hmm. but that looks like it might not happen now. Oh, it I, might I happen hope, a little bit later. I have to say, I hope not, because the the like predicted or rumored i should say colors were pretty ugly they were pretty they were kind of ugly they were pretty bad looking um, yeah but apple usually uh, i don't know i trust apple but at the same time uh, i don't know but we are we are it does look like the camera will definitely get be better on 
the next iPhone, which I, I mean, I sure hope it gets better. The processor will be faster. And we are hearing we might have a 12 megapixel camera that shoots 4K video. So the iPhone will shoot 4K before most of Canon's cameras will shoot 4K. I had to throw that Canon jab in there. Well, I mean, before, before a Canon, not most, just before a Canon DSLR will shoot 4K. Unless That's the true. 5D Mark IV comes out at some point between now and then and it shoots 4K. But whatever. Unlikely. I would honestly, with the iPhone camera, 12 megapixels is great. Um, I would love for more selective focusing, more customizable controls, and most of all, higher dynamic range. That would be awesome. Um, stu- and, and stuff that just works right out of the box, right? Like, I would love to see a marked difference between, like, if I'm following a bunch of people on Snapchat, let's say, you know, you're not really doing editing to your Snapchat videos or images. I know, Howard, you're a, a Neanderthal and you don't use Snapchat yet. Um, which one of these <laughs> days you gotta, you just gotta bite the bullet and sign up for it. Um, it's the way of the future. It's one of the big networks that's gonna be there. Um, but anyway, um, you, you can't really do much editing to your photos or videos. It's very, very, very limited. I would love to see a marked difference between people using the latest and greatest iPhone 6s or 6 Plus or 6S or whatever it's going to be called and everyone else. Um, And I think one way you could do that is dynamic range and detail and highlights and shadows, um, something like that. I think that would be super, super duper cool. Um, And I would love to see uh, Apple kind of have that feature. The problem is it's not like... It's not the big sexy feature. You know what I mean? It's not like, hey, we got high dynamic range now. Everybody's going to be like, what? You know what I mean? Whereas 12 megapixels is like, we got 12 megapixels. We got, you know, six gigabytes of RAM or whatever. You know what I mean? There's there's all of that kind of stuff, uh, which is an easy selling point. Um, but techie geeks and photographers uh, will be stoked about high dynamic range. So, yeah, like the thing I always loved about Apple and their iPhone announcements is they focus a lot on the sensors. They focus on low light, dynamic range, sharpness of the photos. And that's why the I think the last two iPhones were 8 megapixels. It did, I mean, they could yeah. have easily threw in a 16 megapixel camera like some of the other phones or 18 megapixels, whatever it is. But they chose to focus on the sensors. And there are so many comparisons between the iPhone and some of the other newer phones right. and you, you can see in the in the photos that some of the newer phones are still lacking in that dynamic range sharpness and just the overall beauty of a photo that the last generation iPhone had because Apple focuses so much on the sensor so i hope they continue that trend because i mean i'm probably going to update upgrade to the next iPhone anyway right. but having that better cam- that's one of the main features for me as someone who loves sharing my photos and videos with the world. So I I hope they do that. Uh, Just a quick deviation from what we have scripted. Um, I I didn't put this in the show notes, but it was something that I saw that I considered talking about. Um, And I hope it's not your winner or loser of the week. I don't think it would be. It was kind of a smaller story. Former Apple CEO, John Scully. um, Oh, I saw this. He has a company called Obi Worldwide. And as these developing countries, there's like a billion people who are who fall into this classification where they're in a developing country in the world somewhere where they're at the point where they're just going to get 3G or LTE networks. And he has a company that is building smartphones for these people. They're actually pretty good looking phones. I don't know if you saw pictures of them or renderings of them. I, I thought they kind of looked pretty cool. Considering... What's going on there? I, I, I'm not saying it's an iPhone. I'm not saying it's a <laughs> Samsung Galaxy S6 Edge Plus uh, or anything like that. 
but for what it is and for the prices, I mean, some of the, it seems like some countries are going to be kind of expensive. Some they're going to be pretty cheap. Um, but I was pretty impressed by it. The phones are called the SJ 1.5, and then there's a more expensive model, the SF1. Um, but I thought it was just a pretty cool idea um, and, and a really neat thing. I didn't realize it seems like logistically and like as far as the network is concerned, getting these smartphones to these places that don't have just that sort of plug-and-play network uh, is really, really difficult. And I mean, if you think about if you go traveling worldwide, roaming charges, I mean, you are going to get charged from here to freaking next week uh, when it comes to roaming charges for data. So I thought that was really, really neat. Um, and like I said, I don't think the phones look that bad. Obviously, Howard uh, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't like the way they look. But I mean, they're not terrible. They're, uh, they could be a lot worse. But it looks like if a Microsoft Lumia and an iPhone had a baby, that's what... And, and it's like in the process of... The Lumia is in the process of giving birth to the iPhone. It's like an iPhone within the... It just looks very strange. Right, that's like, a strange analogy, but it looks it's, weird. It's like the glass stepchild of those cameras or phones. Yeah, but it, but it is cool that he's trying to like reach third world countries or developing countries and then combine that with Google and Facebook's initiative. I think it's Google Loon and Facebook, whatever the other thing is. Um, they're trying to make internet available to pretty much all third third world countries um you know combine those two things and it's just an amazing initiative for everyone i agree now so, something that's very strange yeah. our last story this is i saw this today and and i watched this and i just had no words for this i'm gonna link it if you are in the youtube chat right now if you're watching this live i'm linking it right now this is a very strange thing so there was this drone photographer or drone pilot whatever you call them his name is kevin miller he was flying his drone around i don't know where this is but he was flying it around and he saw this big wind turbine it's this 200 foot wind turbine so he decided like any drone pilot let me fly this thing up to the top because i have a drone 200 because feet why tall. not 200 feet tall right 200 feet tall yes okay, that's right. um so he flew this thing up to the top and he didn't i, I, I would assume he didn't really expect much to be up there except the turbines at the top but there was a man sunbathing at the top of this 200 foot tall wind turbine if you're in the chat watch this thing right now if you're listening to this later on go to nathaniel's blog post i don't even have words for it i mean this kevin guy he assumes that this man who was sunbathing at the top of this wind turbine is probably an engineer who works on this thing at least I hope he's an engineer that has something to do with working on this wind turbine. But it's just a strange... I mean, if drones never existed, nobody would have any idea that there's a man half-naked sunbathing on a wind turbine. It's quite bizarre. Because <laughs> right, it's like a middle-aged, you know, maybe late 40s, early 50s guy, would you say, right? It's not like... This I would is say like, so. This isn't just like, you know, young Italian, like going to the Jersey Shore, you know, or anything like that, sitting up there getting his tan on. Like this is... <laughs> it's, it's it's very bizarre and it's there's a very small area up there where you can you know, kind of just big enough to lay out right I mean it's not much bigger than you kind of you if you fall asleep and you roll over you're dead <laughs> right <laughs> I mean, it's there's there's no there's no margin for error so it's very bizarre and it's 200 feet off the ground I mean that's that's pretty that's terrifying terrifyingly high not to have like a harness and you know railings or anything like that it's it's strange but yeah, you got to check it out for sure. 
Indeed. So that would do it for our news. We are going to jump into our winners and losers of the week. I'm going to kick this one off well, with my got, loser of the week. We've got qu- our quick six, right? Do we? I don't. I don't think I have quick six for you. Oh, okay, is it right, me we'll, this time? We'll, yeah, it is you this time. Oh, we, well, we can, I failed at that one. We'll 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 pass on quick six for this week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at this quick th- six thing. Um, so I'm going to kick things off with my loser of the week. I have a story here. I don't. I'm not going to read the story because I read it and. It just bothered me, so I don't know too many details about it, but... Oh, great. There was a story out of Boston, and you, you know what Pokemon is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pika, the whole Pikachu. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, you know, that's, I grew up with Pokemon. That, that right there, that's that's my knowledge of Pokemon, Pikachu. That's... Yeah. That's pretty... That's... that's yeah. Um, so, I grew up with Pokemon. I've been playing it for many years. I haven't played it recently, but it's still a thing, and Nintendo is still releasing Pokemon games, and... Every year they have a Pokemon World Championship where you can basically battle other Pokemon masters, whatever they do. Um, and it's it's a lot of young kids and some young adults and so on and so forth. There was a story that these, I believe it was two guys out of Boston was attending this Pokemon World Championship and they posted something on social media. They posted a picture of their car and a semi-automatic rifle on top of it and said something like, we're going to go kill the Pokemon World Championship or something like that. And so, thankfully, the Boston Police Department uh, got hold of this tweet or Facebook post and they decided to investigate just just in case. Um, even though like 99.9% of online threats are not really legit and n- no one ever follows through with them, just in case they decided to investigate, they found basically a trunk full, or maybe it was in their apartment, I think it was in their trunk, they found a trunk full of semi-automatic rifles fully loaded with ammunition and extra ammunition, and they were on the way to this Pokemon World Championships, again, which is attended by hundreds if not thousands of kids and young adults, and, you know, whatever their motive was, it probably wasn't very good considering they were bringing all this stuff they were on the way to this world championships and i am so happy that the boston police department actually followed through with this threat because again like i mentioned and i'm going to link this in the chat here like i mentioned you know 99% of threats online never actually happen because it's usually a bunch of kids in their parents' basement who are just angry at the world. So they say something stupid and, you know, it's just nothing. But this could have been that 0.1% that something very, very bad could have happened. And I, I, I mean, these kids are stupid. Well, I, I mean, I don't know what's dumber. I, I understand what's more lethal. You know, going and shooting a bunch of people, of course, is is more heinous in the grand scheme of things. But what do you have to gain by posting that on social media? Like, if you're serious about doing it, it's like screaming, uh, or or it's like picking up your phone and dialing nine one one, saying, "Hey, um, I'm going to rob the local convenience store. Just send a squad car to pick me up. I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll be there. You know what I mean?" And uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be there, so go, go ahead. Uh, if I get a few retweets or likes on this, that would be super cool. You know, it's totally worth the however many years I'm going to spend in prison. Um, yeah, that's just that's ridiculous and stupid. Uh, my loser of the week is a little bit more funny than that. Um, Usain Bolt. 
uh, kicks, oh, yes. some, kick, kicks some serious tail on the 200 meter world championship of track racing runs. Uh, beat his rival runner, a guy by the name of Justin Gallen, I believe was his name. Um, and uh, for, in track terms, beat him pretty handily. Uh, I guess that where they were doing this, the cameramen have these, you know, the, the, the stabilization rigs, but they also have them riding segways around. Mm-hmm. And this guy took off out into the track and just bulldozed Usain Bolt on his on his motorized Segway right after he won the race. There's you know there's Vine videos and, and and video of it online. Thankfully he didn't get hurt. He said you know kind of you know wiped him out a little bit, but it doesn't look like it tore anything or or seriously injured him. But it's like come on man, if you're if you're gonna be wheeling around in a Segway around these athletes who have dedicated their lives to it, they're tuning up for the Olympics here in, in whatever a year. The last thing in the world you should be doing, number one, is coming close enough that you're going to, you know, clean. Uh, he's the number one runner in the world, right? I mean, for, for a long time, yeah. he is, if you ask somebody who is, what track guy do you know, chances are most people who you run into know of or have heard of in some way Usain Bolt. He's the guy when it comes to track. Why are you getting that close to him on a segue, which apparently you're not able to necessarily handle all that well um so kind of loser but also kind of funny as well so I'm just- yeah i did see this and uh, it's kind of good that it was after his race because it looked like it hurt at, the, at least at the time he probably recovered pretty quickly but he like he flipped over and landed on his tailbone and that could have been very serious i did see the guy there was like a close-up video of the guy on the segway and it looks like his segway hit the side of some the track and it spun out and he just whew, right underneath yep. usain bolt yeah. Crazy stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So my winner of the week is actually Burger King, which is it, it's it's a weird story. So Burger King, I don't know if it was it was like a marketing thing or they're really trying to do good in the world, but they released this public letter to McDonald's, a proposal. Uh-huh. And actually, I think the website is mickwhopper.com. A beautiful website, really well done. Whoever did that, kudos to them. I like so, the pack. The packaging design for the McWhopper is also quite nice. Yeah, they spent a lot of time on this proposal, and their idea was to team up with McDonald's for Peace Day to show that competitors, despite being competitors, can actually get along and do something good for the world. And they were going to create what they call a McWhopper, which is like a combination of the Big Mac and. Uh, the Whopper from Burger King and they were going to sell it in a pop-up store in Chicago and I think proceeds were going to go to something or other and they basically just wanted to make a a difference on the world so they released this big long proposal this beautiful website this beautiful video beautiful packaging design and McDonald's said nope I don't (laughs) like your idea the the CEO of McDonald's released this very strange reply I was like, yeah, we, oh, you know, we can both do good in the world, but P.S. You should have called me next time instead of posting this thing publicly. And they basically just denied their, or flat out rejected the whole thing. So I, I love that Burger King actually came up with this thing and tried to actually make it happen because I think it's a brilliant idea. And then McDonald's was just like, nope. Yeah, not for us. I know. I oh. feel so bad for Burger King. I, I love what they did, but I feel bad they spent all this time. I still hope that I hope it happens because I'm sure there's talks behind the scenes. They're, yeah, and they're, but, they're getting a ton I mean, of great publicity out of it too. You know what I mean? Like who, who's talking about Burger King? You know, I, I'm, 
you like fries or onion rings. You know what I mean? Like Burger King has kind of fallen into a bit of irrelevance, if you ask me. Um, but one thing I did notice as far as package design was concerned, it was kind of cool. It seemed like they sort of like tipped their hat to McDonald's as well because mm-hmm. the majority of the packaging seems to reflect McDonald's colors and McDonald's style and only like a quarter of it is solidly Burger King. I don't know if yeah. you noticed that. Like that was kind of the first thing I noticed. Like mm, that's kind of interesting that they're making the 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 gesture and they're sort of saying, "Look, McDonald's, you do kind of own the market space." Yeah. Um, and we're gonna kind of let the packaging reflect that as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know that I wouldn't do cartwheels and like I gotta get a McWhopper, you know, when it came out or anything. But it would have been cool. I probably would have gone and got one just to like Instagram it or something. But wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't everyone else of has you know? Of course. W- everyone else would have too. Uh, so. Uh, but yeah, I guess hey, when you're when you're trying to make a new burger to change the world, I guess you're you're trying. Uh, my winner of the week, and I don't know if it can really be a winner of the week, but I guess just a general overall winner. Um, Tracy Morgan is going to be hosting Saturday Night Live here in a few weeks after the horrific car accident that he had, and uh, quite frankly, nobody really knew if he was going to ever fully recover from it. I mean, I remember for a short period of time. It seemed kind of like, is he even going to make it at all? Do you know what I mean? So kind of, it's always super, super cool to see somebody go from like, you know, within a hair breadth of death to I'm back to doing my thing. You know what I mean? I remember he, he, uh, he used to be this, the, the, uh, what is not spokesperson, but host, I guess I should say of the show called Scare Tactics, uh, which was just a a, a truly frightening but hilarious prank show uh, before we had, you know, all of the, you know, uh, Vitaly and uh, Roman Atwood, you know, style pranks all over the internet. Um, and it was kind of interesting. But yeah, no, so that's just like a cool, you know, I'm not even necessarily a huge Tracy Morgan fan. Um, I mean, I don't hate the guy or anything, but I'm a fan of like the comeback, you know? And that's that's just really really cool to see that. Yeah, and didn't he get just get engaged to his fiance of like nine years or something? Oh, maybe I don't know. I I I follow E. I don't follow E. What am I saying? I so, saw it passing I, on my Twitter feed. I think that's what I saw. Gotcha. Yeah. No. I I, I guess sure. Good for him if that's the case. And he's double winner of the week. <laughs> there you go. So cool. So that will just, just about do it. That, that's going to wrap up. I see someone just got into the YouTube stream just now. Um, well, we are late, just wrapping better, up. Better late than never, but not that's this true. time. You can always go back and watch this again. Um, so we are wrapping up. This was the 28th episode of the We Geeks podcast. If you're brand new to the podcast, we talk about design and tech and photography and stupid people every single episode, every single week. You can catch us at soundcloud.com slash wegeeks. And I guess we'll be uploading these to YouTube at some point. Maybe I'll just put put this one live this week and see if people complain about it. But I guess we'll see you guys next week. Do you have anything else to add? No, that's pretty much it. I, thanks for everyone who checked out the live stream. And uh, I mean, the podcast is it's just going. You know what I mean? It just keeps on keeping on. So it's, it's a good thing. Indeed. And people are asking for shout-outs. Um, B. John plays games. Rick... Uh, who else was in here? Bernard. There was somebody else. Um, SNA Worldness. She was in here since the beginning. Nerdish by nature. Good friends of ours. Uh, a bunch of other people. So thanks so much for joining us in the live stream. Thanks for joining us in uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes. If you love the podcast, head over to Patreon and follow us on Twitter. Thanks Perfect. so much, guys. Take it easy, everybody. 
See ya.